Hey, welcome to Freeway Church Online. We're glad that you are with us today. Check out this message. It is from our Sunday service. Thank you. Can we also celebrate your pastors, Roy and Alyssa, please? Uh, let's uh, celebrate them. It's an honor to be here. And uh, as uh, Pastor Roy just said, you know, uh, my job has a lot of things involved in it that are boring. And you would wonder why I do this job if I explain them. But there are moments like this, like today's like today, where we get to celebrate the work of God, not only what's currently happening, but what has happened before. And uh, my wife, Jamie, is here today with me. My oldest daughter lied to me, betrayed me. She told me she when she was a little kid that she was going to never leave me. And then she moved off nine hours away to college. So I'm angry at her. Uh, working it through. And then my youngest is is at home uh, today, uh, back home. She, we have a local church and uh, we, uh, we want her to be plugged in. How many are grateful for good churches and good opportunities for students to check in? Pastor Chris, who's one of your missionaries, also served on my pastoral staff for 10 years. And so it's wonderful to be here with him as well and to celebrate with you. Last time I was here, you didn't have a pastor. And uh, so this time it's a celebration of what God has done. And I, uh, I love your former pastor, Pastor Steve, of course, and Pastor Roy today. I want to share with you about 80 years, and I want to take a moment and honor 80 years of history, but I also don't want us to become consumed with our past. The death sentence of a church is when a church becomes consumed with its past. There should be an amen in here unless you're consumed with your past. I have found that churches struggle mightily at times with moving forward because the past becomes so amazing that the future gets sacrificed. People love change until you change what they love. I'm going to say that again. People love change till you change. Pastor, change anything you want. Change that, change that. But if you touch this music stand, I'm going to cut your throat. Now we laugh and we say, well, that would never happen. Oh, it happens. And it happens a lot. And so today I want to do the artful conversation of where the past was and how it intersects with our present and how our past leads us to a great tomorrow. I led a church steeped in tradition and history over the course of, of 60 years. And God used that church to radically transform into a church that was radically transforming the community around it. And that didn't happen on accident. It happened because people like you made a choice to celebrate the victories of God. How many know 80 years is not so much about a building, even though it involves a building? And by the way, you have one of the nicest buildings in our network. I just want you to know, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But I also want you to know that celebrating 80 years involves celebrating people you've never met. People who had it in their hearts at the beginnings, Davises and Smiths and those who came along historically to say, God needs a church in Albion. How many are grateful God put something in their hearts that led to this moment today? People who were faithful, who were willing to step outside the box without any context of history and say, I want to create something that has a future goal. You are here today because somebody paid a price that you didn't. Somebody contributed financially that you don't know. 
Somebody came and unlocked buildings and closed buildings and painted walls and transformed carpet. And, and along the way, it became a church that you now call home. And I want to go back to history and I want to tie it to our present. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, it's a very common story. I'm not preaching a story that if you've been in the church long, you haven't already heard. But it says this, now when it came about when Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they receive, uh, revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the, the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Amnite was near him and he said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall walls down. I want you to know this is, this is symbolic of what we are facing in America right now. How many know the world is not getting more Christian? The world is not becoming more conservative over time when it comes to biblical values. And by the way, no matter what we do, and I'm not suggesting some sort of passive approach, not in the slightest bit, we should be active in our society. We should have a voice. We should know what we believe. We should live according to the word of God. Amen? But here's the, the truth. No matter what we do, the Bible makes it clear it's going to get worse before it gets better. And better only comes at the rapture. The world is going to get worse. And this was a cultural time where Nehemiah is coming back to build something new. It's kind of what happens at the beginning of an 80-year church. Though so the story and context here is something once, once built that no longer was standing. But this is kind of the context of, of the church planting heart. It's to take something that doesn't currently exist and create something that exists in a new form. The book of Nehemiah is not just a story of rebuilding just walls of Jerusalem. It's about the unfolding of a vision and how God, God uses people to work together in a very practical way to fulfill his will. Your church is not about your vision for your church. Your church is about accomplishing his will. In a very real sense, this is about building a congregation of people. Here's the truth. The enemy of our soul, the devil, is opposed to anything that, that honors God and that the Holy Spirit wants to do. He does not want us to rebuild or recover our lives. We know that Satan, the devil in and of himself, is an adversary who accuses. In fact, you can hear the accusing of the brethren sometimes by society, sometimes in our own inner talk, sometimes in our own words that we say towards others or about others, that the reality is in the world we live in, the devil is active and is attempting to stop anything that honors God. And that includes your church. The devil is the source of all evil and temptation whose desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. And here's the saddest part. The devil really doesn't care much about you at all. He just is trying to get even with God. And because you are, listen, because you are so loved by God, 
The devil's greatest strategy is to hurt God by taking the things, the thing, the people that God loves so much and turn their heart against him. You are nothing more than a pawn to the devil to offend God. But isn't that encouraging? No, listen. Some of you are like, no, not at all. Not encouraging. Isn't it encouraging to know that you are the thing that God loves the most? That the devil says, of all the things on earth that I'd like to destroy, it's God's people, it's the church, it's the establishment of his presence here on earth. The good news is the devil's also identified as the one who's already defeated. Come on. Let's get some amens in here. It's 80 years. It's time to party. We have nothing to fear in the devil. Listen, we are more than conquerors. We are victorious with God. We are sons and daughters of the God most high. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are his and he is ours. And yes, the devil attempts to attack, but greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. That the devil will flee at the name of Jesus. Demons flee at the name of Jesus. We are victorious. 80 years ago, the devil tries to stop a brand new work. The fact that you're here at 80 years tells the devil he lost. Today is not a victory of 80-year mark or eight decades or just the fact you have a beautiful building. Today is a celebration that the devil lost. He didn't win over the discouraging years over depression years, over recession times, over transitions and moves and updates and arguments and contention that exist in the local church. You know what? The devil has tried to defeat Freeway Church for decades and has failed and failed and failed. And God stands there and says, I win, I win, I win. Why? Because this congregation... The remnant of this church has kept their eyes on him. In chapter 4 of Nehemiah, Sanballat and Tobiah are the mouthpieces or the voice of the enemy. Designed to communicate wrong ideas, make wrong suggestions, make wrong accusations, assertions, suggest innuendos, create questions, challenge with lies, tell half-truths. The Bible calls them fiery darts. Designed to distract, aimed with a goal to, and a desire to uh, specifically destroy. Why? Because the enemy wants to magnify fears. Play off insecurities, capitalize on past or current hurts. You know what I've learned about the devil? The only thing he has to do to get ground in my life is make me focus on what bothers me more than what, he has, what God has done for me. You know, when I pastored a church, I used to tell our church, Pastor Chris will tell you this, he was on staff with me, I would tell our church this, and it was really terrible. I would say, you don't have to like everything we do at our church, I don't like everything we do. And you would see the people like chuckle like, yeah, right, and I'm like, no, seriously, there's things we do I can't stand, and people come up to me and go, what are they? I would say, I'm not going to tell you. They said, why? I said, because my preference doesn't matter as much as if it works, then I'm going with what God's doing. How many know we all have to kind of get over ourselves? I'm going to say that again until I get a better amen. We all have to kind of get over ourselves. We do. 
We do in life. We do in ministry. Why? Because we've got a real enemy that's attacking, so we can't be ones who allow that to settle in our spirits. Because he wants to discourage, he wants to demoralize, steal hope, destroy faith, immediately sap confidence, intimidate us, blur our vision, create disarray, create disunity. Target the people of God by targeting God, by targeting the people of God. Why? Because he wants the work to stop. The devil wants the work to stop. This is what happens in Nehemiah chapter 4. The assignment of the voices who shot fiery darts goal was to stop what God was starting to do. Sad part, as I've traveled the state, I think I'm booked all but four Sundays. He talked about uh, parting of the waters. I'm booked all the way for one year in advance except for four Sundays right now. And uh, starting to book into 2024. I travel and speak 37,000 miles of driving this year, 10,000 by air, 47,000 miles of travel. I've seen some things in the last year and a half. Who I am now than where I was before is a much more mature and knowledgeable person based on the experience. And I will tell you, churches across our state have given the devil way too much ground. And sometimes I walk into the ruins and the heaps of churches that once were great. And you can hear the voices of the past moments of pain. And the challenge for every church is to honor the past of the voices who overcame and to be an overcoming church moving forward. Listen to the questions that the voices of the enemy are trying to challenge. They ask these kind of questions in the text we just run. Who are these feeble Jews and what are they doing? Here's the translation. Who do you think you are? What do you think you really can accomplish, especially as small and as weak and non-informed as you once were? They would ask these kind of questions. Are they going to restore it for themselves? Let me transition or translate that. Your heart isn't right in this. Your motives are impure. You're in it for your own selfish motives, self-interest, to make a name for yourself. They ask this kind of question. Will they offer sacrifices? You know what they're really saying there. Are you spiritual enough to serve God? Are you really going to sacrifice and pay the price for God's will? You're too unworthy to offer acceptable honor and sacrifice. You're too lacking to be an effective Christian worshiper, prayer, witnesser. I don't think prayer is a, is a word, but we're going to go with it. How many say amen to that? Come on. You're too small to make a kingdom difference. They ask this kind of question. Will they finish in a day? It's like this. What are you expecting? Some sort of miracle? You won't accomplish God's will. You'll never finish what you have started. Problems and delays should be interpreted as evidence. You're out of God's will. This is what they're trying to put into the heart of the people who are building the future. Can they bring the stones back in a day from the life of the rubble burned as they are? This is the question. Can they really do this translation? There is no way, there is no way that you can affect true change. Too much damage has been done. You do not have enough maturity, money, education, training, anointing, experience. And then what are they building? 
He says, even if a fox jumps on the wall, it'll knock down the walls of stones. How many hear the voice of the devil in all these accusations? These are the things your church has wrestled with for 80 years, and these are the things your church will wrestle with now and wrestle with in the next 80 to come. It's the same story. It's the same plan of the enemy. For decades, for years, for centuries, all he wants to do is tell you, you can't make it, you can't do it, you can't accomplish, it's too big, it's too weak, it's too fragile. These kind of attacks come all throughout the story of Nehemiah and they come all throughout the history of this church. When Nehemiah first arrives, this happens in chapter 2, verse 10. When the work begins in chapter 2, verse 19, in chapter 4, verse 1. When progress had been made and the wall was halfway up, chapter 4, verse 6. When the wall is completed, chapter 6, verse 1. Why? Because the devil was threatened by what was happening. I watched your drummer and your guitar player, the young ladies up here singing. Can I just tell you, it, it excited my soul. I sat there and said, first of all, they're capable, good musicians. Jamie, I liked you too. Where are you, Jamie? I liked you too. But I'm just sitting here watching worship, and I was participating, but I stopped for a moment, and I said, dear God, every single voice and song and note that is played and drum beat that is kept is a reminder to the devil. Every time that drum hit, you lost in this generation. You're going to lose in this generation. Every time I heard a voice that was singing, it was a reminder that God's worship is greater than the negativity of this world. Can I tell you what I've seen here today is an offense to the devil, and I say, let's pick a fight with them today. Let's not focus on what we lack or don't have in the kingdom. Let's focus on what God has given us. A debt-free, nice-looking building with wonderful people, with generations who are worshiping God, with an offering for kingdom builders of $5,000, with one of your missionaries on stage playing on an 80-year celebration. My goodness, if you aren't fired up, your wood's too wet, and it's time to catch on fire. This is a good day. This is a God day. This is a day that serves notice on the enemy. Nehemiah responds to the things that your congregation has responded to for 80 years. You know, it was funny when Pastor Roy said, if you've been here a long time, stand. And it was like none of you were moving. And then all of you moved like this. <laughs> I said, yeah, you guys were moving slow. Because listen, you've been here for decades. Listen, I was sitting over here, and they were making fun of me. Uh, Pastor Roy comes over and goes, I'm going to introduce you. And apparently I went, uh, and my wife and Chris were like, what is wrong with you? How many know the older you get, the better you were? How many say amen to that? I was one step away from the NBA, even though I wasn't, you know. And the older you get, everything reminds you you're getting older. Amen. But Nehemiah stops, and he learns something. And this is what I want to leave with you. 80 years is amazing, but what the next 80 years, in fact, I think it's getting harder to be a Christian these days than any other time. I will tell you, it's definitely harder to pastor than it's ever been. It's more discouraging. It's more difficult. By the way, how many know everybody in America is grumpy right now? <laughs> Everybody's grumpy. 
I mean, seriously, I, I, can I just say this? This is off my notes. Jamie, keep me in line here. If I, I don't understand grumpy Christians. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He takes all your junk. You betray him over and over. He continually forgives. He continually brings you together. You're all here who would never know each other probably outside of the grace of God and coming to a local church. He has guaranteed you heaven in eternity with no suffering, no pain, no heartache. And we go to work and act like Jesus is still in the tomb, but he's not risen. Christians, you should be the happiest people people encounter. Because you are saved and freed from who you used to be. By the way, if I met you, would I want to follow the Jesus that you follow by knowing you? I often ask this too. I won't, I won't talk about this today, but can I just say this to you? If people in the church tithe like you tithe, what would happen to the church? Just a question. Okay. Nehemiah responds to adversary, adversarial words this way. Number one, he learns to pray while under attack. Listen to chapter 4, verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. How many got some prayers you want to pray like that? Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins. This is not like, a, hey, God, you take care of it. He wants God to take action on them. <laughs> Blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Can I tell you something? If you want to change the world from Albion, you have got to learn to pray like never before. And by the way, I'm not talking about a prayer meeting. I'm not talking about a certain style of prayer. I'm talking about when no one sees a deep yearning for God that comes from your own private time where you and God are alone. Can I just tell you the kind of prayers American Christians have been praying for decades? Oh, God, help me. God, fix me. God, bless me. God, solve this. Do you know what kind of prayers the next season needs? Oh, God, what do you want? God, speak to me. God, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Change me. Challenge me. Equip me. Make me who you want to be. See, our prayers in America have become oftentimes a prayer request of desires we have, and we've neglected the prayerful side of finding out what he wants. I think God is calling this church for the next 80 years to have a prayer devotional life that when you have a prayer meeting, it's the exposing of what has happened and already in private. Our world is broken and we need to be spirit-filled but also need to be spirit-formed and spirit-led. We neglect that in the Pentecostal circle. Spirit-filled becomes the goal. That's great, but we also need to be spirit-formed and spirit-led. Led. Number two, he calls us to increase alertness and preparedness. Listen, Nehemiah not only learns to pray, he also learns to, to stay alert, to be prepared. Listen to what he says, chapter 4, verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet the threat. Can I just tell you, there is the spiritual and the practical side of ministry that Nehemiah demonstrates here. We must be more alert to the acts of the enemy, the attacks of the enemy in our own private lives, but also in the world around us. As a church, you must protect unity. As a church, you must protect your life. I remember when a, 
a young kid at our church, he was probably about 14, was standing in the hall, and I walked up, and I, I heard some other students talking bad about the youth pastor, and I was going to address it, and as I was walking up, I heard this 13-year-old boy say something that one of our older adults in our congregation had said before. He walks up to the conversation and says, excuse me, we don't do that here. And I froze. And the teenager said, what do you mean? He says, we don't talk about bad th- people here. And you need to stop it because we don't do that here. That was the beginning right before, right before we had a massive move of salvations that began to happen in our congregation. Do you know why? Because where there's unity, there's the spirit. Why? Because the spirit is the one who brings unity. Come on. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where there is freedom, There are places for people to go, messed up, all confused, all out of sorts, and the Holy Spirit cleans up people better than we do. Amen. And by the way, you were one of those people at some point in life probably who walked into a church somewhere and they accepted you where you were with the goal for the Holy Spirit to take you to where he wanted you to go. How many are grateful for a church somewhere in your history who loved you enough to help you grow and give you time? Amen. Then he calls everyone to arms. You got to pray. You got to be alert. Got to be prepared. And then he calls everyone to arms. Listen to Nehemiah. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and exposed places, posting them by families. By the way, families with their swords, spears, and bows. This was a multiple weapon approach. This was a multi-generational approach. Special attention to vulnerable areas, exposed places, with organization and cooperation. There was this understanding that everybody was involved. Everybody wanted to be a part. Everybody had a responsibility to take it from where it is to the next level of where it was designed. Listen to verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all, all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried material did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword by his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Can I just tell you, your church's vision is not a somebody's responsibility. It's an everybody kind of vision. It's an all generation kind of move for Albion. It requires unity at the highest level. And then, and then Nehemiah does something else. He addresses their fear. Listen to this. After I looked things over, verse 14, I stood up and saw the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, and your wives and your homes. He says this in this verse. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Fight for your families. Fight for your houses. Our God will fight 
for us. How do we know that? Verse 20, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us here. Our God will fight for us. Here's the beauty of an 80-year celebration. God has been fighting for you. Here's the beauty of the next 10, 20, 80 years. God continues to fight for you and for this community. Then Nehemiah calls them to focus on God's plan, not their enemies. Boy, I love this phrase I say everywhere I go. If we focus on what's right in the world, we might actually have the energy to fix what's wrong. But when all we do is focus on what's wrong, it wipes out the energy of what is good. You ever find that season? Everything's terrible. You complain all day and then you're just miserable. But if you focus on what God, that's why Jamie and I have a habit in our lives. I used to preach this to my church. Every single morning I get up and I write down three things I'm thankful for. Or verbally, sometimes don't write it verbally. God, what are three things? And you say, boy, that could get boring. Well, then we need more thankfulness. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Every morning, what are three things you're thankful for? Give me one right now. Somebody from the crowd, tell me something you're thankful for. Gift of life. life. What else? Heat. Heat. Come on. That's a good one. What else? Family. Three things just now. Every day, we have to choose an attitude of honor to God. When they have fear that comes upon them, they're reminded immediately, hey, don't focus on the enemy, focus on God. Letting God's will be the guidance of your life, being God conscious, not enemy conscious. uh, Concentrating on the project and the progress, not the problems of the project or the process. Way too often we find ourselves complaining more about what we want in life than what God is grieved by. Then he calls them to mutual submission and dependence on the Lord. I'm getting near the end here. Verse 18, he says, And each of the builders wore a sword by side of work, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated uh, from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us here, and God will fight for us. There's this mutual partnership of being aware of each other, listening to the call for when God needs them to assemble. Can I tell you, back in the 60s, back in, in the 40s and 50s, when church was open, people came. You know that the average attendance on a Sunday now is 1.2 a month? 1.2. And we wonder why we don't feel connected to community. God needs us to prioritize the gathering of the trumpet call where we come together out of mutual love and respect as time goes on. Why? Because on a Sunday you're not here. It might be the Sunday that God sent someone to the church and needed you to be the one to reach him. He then calls them to celebrate. Here we go. We're getting near the end. To celebrate the dedication of the walls, the putting things together, the project coming together. And he says to do it in several ways, with unity and with the word of God. Nehemiah 8 says, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the books of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. They celebrate with the word of God, because the word of God is alive and true. By the way, it still is. Here's the beautiful thing. 80 years ago, you know what hasn't changed? The powerful impact of the word of God. 
And then it says, celebrate with praise and joy. Listen to this, chapter 8, verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Then all the people went away to eat and drink. We're going to have some cake afterwards. How many are ready for that? To send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Listen, there comes a moment when serving alongside each other, we're in a service, you're going to be in the service where you're not going to get much out of it. Sorry, Pastor Roy, but it's true. And then at the same time in the same service, somebody's going to awaken to the word of God in a new way for the first time. And they're going to experience Jesus in a way they've never experienced him before. Why? Because it's time to celebrate. You know what makes the atmosphere for that? A celebratory atmosphere. You know, I, I remember a lady said to me at our church one time, you know, I, I wish we had longer worship. It takes me three songs just to get my heart right. Oh, my word. Then worship is relegated to songs. You should come into this place fired up, ready to go. I don't care if you fought with your kids all the way here. My wife and I had that problem too. Okay, let's say it this way. If you fought with your spouse all the way here, we, had, we have never had that problem, right? Yeah, right. Can I just tell you something? You get to worship Jesus. From the moment we stand to worship, nothing else should matter but him. All in. All, every moment. Rather you know the song, like the song, can't clap to the song. By the way, the assemblies of God are terrible clappers in worship. We're always offbeat. I can just tell you that right now. Here's another great part of the celebration. With feasting. Nehemiah said, go eat choice food. This is biblical. And sweet drinks. And send some of those to have nothing prepared. I love this. In the midst of their celebration, what does God do? He takes care of people who don't have enough. It's part of the celebration. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know that verse? It doesn't mean joy in a happy feeling. It's actually transcribed. Confidence. The word joy there is the confidence in the Lord. Listen, you don't always have to feel excited about Jesus, but you can always have confidence in who Jesus is. And confidence in him brings joy down the road. It's God's will. He says, celebrate the things of God. Can I just challenge you? 80 years, God has been faithful to this church. For 80 years, people have been faithful to God by serving in this church. Will you sign up for faithfulness to continue what God has begun? If I do this 20 years, maybe retire at that point, I might get to come back for the 100-year celebration. And I would like to come here on the 100-year celebration and not just see the same group of people, but walk in the door and hear stories of the last 20 years where God transformed people's lives. When I left pastoring the church that I pastored, uh, you know, most of the people were sad I left. There was one guy who came to me and said, I'm really glad you left. I was hoping you'd leave. I said, I was hoping you would leave. He goes, I outlasted you. I said, I know, aren't you the winner? <laughs> I thought, oh, this new pastor is not the winner. But anyway, <laughs> listen, you know what's held me up, what's sustained me over, these, over this year and a half 
is not anything else that we accomplish. It's not the buildings we built or rebuilt or fixed. It's not the debt we reduced, even though that was great. It's the stories of life transformation. When a young lady is sitting in the front row named Stephanie, and she's sitting there in a service, Pastor Chris remembers this day, and she's sitting there in service and says, God, I don't think you see me. I don't think you even care about me. I don't think you even know me. And me preaching, not having any clue that the Holy Spirit is about to use the next phrase to radically transform her life. A prophetic word comes to my heart. I share. I think God wants someone here to know they see them and they know them. And she literally wails and falls out of her seat. Some of our prayer people thought she was under some demon, demonic attack. Pastor Chris and I knew that wasn't the case. God overwhelmed her. She's serving the Lord, rescued her from a terrible family dynamic. And now she's married and has a child that is one of the worship leaders at the church. And it happened on a Sunday morning because our doors were open, because somebody tithed and paid the bills, because somebody was up there ministering, and because God gave time and a service for someone's life to change. How many are grateful for the moments God pauses everything for an individual? That's what you're in the business of doing. Creating space you're not just setting an atmosphere with lights and with Christmas. I, I just got to tell you, this excites me, and you may say, why? Uh, they're just balloons. No, somebody took time and effort to make today a special day by putting up balloons. That's not just balloons. That's excellence in action. So when someone comes someday and says, what are the balloons? We're celebrating 80 years. Well, wow, this is great. Listen, if you're new today, be excited. 80 years is just beginning again. It's not a celebration of just what we've built. It's a celebration of lives changed. People's lives who are not the same as they were before they walked in. I don't know if any of you, did any of you give your heart to Christ here at this church? If you did, raise your hand. I don't know how many in here. A couple in the back. Okay, wonderful. Can I just tell you something? Let's have a day when we say, how many of you gave your life to Christ here in this church? And someday the whole room goes, and we watch the magnificent move of the Spirit through people who've been willing to give their life to something greater than themselves. Freeway Church, you started 80 years ago. But I want to give you just a few thoughts, and I will close with this. We have an honor of the past. Great pastors and great leaders. Great pastors who were great guitar players. Come on, you can celebrate Pastor Steve's excellent guitar playing. But let me just say this to you. We believe, I'm going to speak on behalf, I'm part of your church. We believe it is God's will for him to use this building as a place for worship, instruction, care, and evangelism. It's part of Albion, we believe to present our lives and our finances to be used for his purpose. We recognize those who originally constructed the facilities, we recognize the faithfulness of God through the individuals who made possible both the past leading to the present. We still believe in the preaching of the scriptures and the declaration of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to God. 
We honor this day for the eight decades of faithfulness experience and the people who paved the way in children's ministry, youth ministry, worship ministry, missions ministry, served on deacon boards, were greeters in the foyer, who swept the building, cleaned the altars, thank God they cleaned the bathrooms, restocked tissue, uh, 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 removed snow, cut the grass, painted walls. But we declare a new season of evangelism, of a move of his spirit. We believe in the ministry of prayer as our communication to God, and we believe it needs to grow in our lives. We believe in the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, creates faith in our heart, brings about new birth, illuminates our minds to understand and recall Scripture, distributes his gifts to be used in ever-increasing measure, enables holiness of life, and empowers believers for acts of service. From the scriptures, we recognize the ministry of music as a means of worship and honor towards God. We believe and commit our lives to be a worshipful congregation. We believe God intended the home to be a place of love, providing spiritual, nurturing, loving relationships, moral values for children. And we believe the church is to assist in building wholesome families through biblical teaching and walking in examples in a congregation. We believe the church is the body of Christ made up of all those who love the Lord. We recognize we're not perfect, nor will we ever be. There are no perfect pastors, perfect leaders, or perfect congregants. Five of you know that. But we recognize that through our imperfections and through our weaknesses, he is exalted in spite of ourselves. We recognize this congregation to be a vital part of the church today, an extension of God's redeeming grace towards the lost, both at home and overseas. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I declare a new season in honor of the previous 80 seasons. That the pastors of this church, the congregants, the leadership, the facilities to be set apart for the service of God and for the glory of Jesus Christ so that this community knows that Jesus loves them, died for them, not just at Easter and Christmas, but every single day that they encounter a member of this church. May our middle schools and our elementary schools, our high schools and college campus experience a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And may we, as the older generation, be willing to sacrifice to make way for their tomorrow. Today, we celebrate 80 years. And today, I celebrate you. Pastor Roy, Alyssa, would you please come up here? Jamie, could you bring? We have a plaque that we've made for you guys in commemoration of 80 years of service, of existence of a church. And it's presented to the pastors here today on behalf of the congregation. It says the Michigan Ministry Network conveys its congratulation and appreciation of Freeway Church and celebration of their 80th anniversary, November 20th, 2020. We give this to you. Can we celebrate that for just a moment? 
Hey, we're glad you joined us today on the podcast. We are praying for you. So please let us know what we can do. Uh, We're on your team, always here. So um, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.